Over the last 25 years, the world has witnessed incredible progress, from dial-up modems to 5G connectivity, from massive PC towers to AI-enabled microchips. Innovators are rethinking possibilities every day. Through it all, Invesco's QQQ ETF has provided investors access to the world of innovation. Be a part of the next 25 years of new ideas by supporting the fund that gives you access to innovative companies. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter has been a big case of hurry up and wait. The saga started in April when Musk announced he'd accumulated an almost 10% stake in the company and was invited to join Twitter's board. That seemed nice, but Musk had bigger plans. He made a bid to buy the company outright in a deal valued at $44 billion, which, by the way, was a lot more than the company was publicly worth. There was drama, including a back and forth where Twitter invoked a, quote, poison pill to avoid a would-be hostile takeover. But by May, everyone seemed to have settled down and the deal looked like a go. Of course, Musk is never done. And now it seems he'd like to put the deal on ice or at least get a better price. I wanted to make sense of where the deal is and where it may be headed. So I invited my guests today, journalists Kevin Roos and William Cohen. Kevin is a tech columnist for The New York Times. And Bill is a numbers geek and reporter for Puck News, who I think has done some of the best analysis of the potential deal or disaster of the century. Kevin, Bill, welcome to Sway. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. So, Bill, let's start with you. Like, where, put where the deal is. Like, like, take a step back and start with the acquisition offer. Break down the offer and also the key terms, because Elon kind of agreed to buy a house without an inspection. I think that's how Alex Stamos put it to me. Yes, that's correct. He signed a merger agreement on April 25th to pay $54.20 in cash to Twitter shareholders, uh, obviously excluding himself. He owns 9.1%. So that's a $44 billion uh, cash outlay, uh, Kara. He got $13 billion of senior debt commitments. He then got a margin loan for another 12 or 13 billion or so which has since disappeared and then the rest which initially was going to be about 20 billion of his own equity or equity that he could raise has now been revised upward to 33 billion of equity which you know has to be an absolute record for one individual to pledge to a single deal and it sort of makes this deal no longer what one would consider kind of a typical going private leveraged buyout because, you know, it's like basically two-thirds equity now. So uh, that's what he's committed to. And, you know, by God, he signed a merger agreement and his outs are very few, although he can probably manufacture some if he wants to. And if he tries to get out of it, as the Twitter board said, they're going to enforce the agreement. So that's uh, uh, fighting terms in M&A land for, you know, lawsuits. So that's what he's faced with. All right. Um, Elon said he put the deal on hold. There's no such thing. Is that correct? Oh, there's no such thing as putting a deal on hold unless uh, the regulators, uh, quote unquote, put something on hold. But for one of the principals who literally, you know, 
Kerry. He signed a merger agreement, right. a legally right. binding document. No, he, he's got time. He's got till October to try to pull this together. And then it, it, there's already a six months extension in the contract. So if he wants to extend it out some more and play games, he, you know, he can keep this going, you know, for another 11, 12 months if he wants, at least. So he used bots and fake accounts as the excuse to for an escape hatch, essentially, or to get a discount. It's not clear which one. Kevin, talk about the character of Elon. Now, this is not a surprise to you or I that he's playing games, that he does this all the time. He loses interest in things. So talk about why this is not uncharacteristic of Musk to do. Well, right. I think the bots thing is a total pretense. Um, he knew there was a bot problem. He has bots in his replies every time he posts anything. I mean, I think this deal is very strange to me. It feels a little like a, like an arranged marriage that's sort of going sour. Like everyone kind of pretended to be okay with it. But now like the date is getting closer. The flowers have been ordered. Like the caterers are, you know, are hired and the groom is getting cold feet. Like he is clearly nervous about this. He wants to find a way out. I do think the deal will eventually close uh, because of some of the reasons that Bill mentioned, but I think it's going to be a very awkward interim. And there's still a chance I would put it at maybe, you know, 10 to 15 percent that he finds a way out of this deal. And why? Why did he want it in the first place? And why is he doing that? Well, I think there, there are sort of two reasons he wanted it. One, I think he is just a case of complete Twitter brain. Like, like it's weird because like his brain is clearly still there and, and, you know, on certain topics still functions at a very high level. Like there's still a lot of tweets out there about rockets and Neuralink and stuff like that. It used to be like 90% Tesla and rocket tweets and like 10% everything else. And now it's like almost entirely like the culture war. Yeah. Like he has, he's like, you know, someone who stumbled onto like a PragerU YouTube video and like emerges six months later, just totally bought into the culture war. It almost feels like now his account is like if Ben Shapiro had a passing interest in satellites. And I, I do think like that's what's motivating this. Um, you know, he's said that he's motivated by the the sort of need to free Twitter of censorship and I, I think it, you know, his recent tweets make it fairly clear that he just thinks the the service is way too censorious, way too woke, um, you know, run by radicals. And he wants to, you know, basically restore it to what he feels like it was before that. Do you have any sense that he might be faking? Faking in what sense? This whole cultural thing that it's just he likes commenting on everything. He's now commented on lots of topics of which he has no expertise whatsoever, which is typical Twitter, I guess. I don't I don't think he's faking necessarily. Uh, I think he is genuinely annoyed by what he sees as like the, you know, the woke uh, PC left. Do I think it's strategic for him in some way? Possibly. I mean, my actual like hot take here is that I think it's probably good in like a utilitarian sense that Elon Musk like pisses off Democrats because, you know, with Tesla, what he was able to do is like take something the electric vehicle that had been sort of coded as liberal. And he sort of built Tesla. And by the fact that he was like not a sort of standard issue liberal, he kind of made electric vehicles acceptable for Republicans to buy, which has probably been like a good thing in speeding the adoption of, you know, electric cars. So I don't know whether he's genuine in his annoyance with the left or whether this is just some strategic thing for him. I don't know exactly what it would get him if it was strategic. 
But I do think that he has undergone a profound change in just the past couple of years. The Elon that we're seeing today is not the same one that we saw a couple of years ago. And and let me just add why I think that might be. I mean, I think you have to remember that at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, poor Elon was only worth about 25 to 30 billion. And during the pandemic, because maybe Tesla became a bit of a meme stock, and you know, along with some other meme stocks, his net worth just exploded uh, 10 times to up to 300 billion. So if you're like sort of a middling corporate CEO, founder, billionaire worth 25 billion that, you know, has some other interests like rockets and tunnels and things like that, and all of a sudden you become the world's richest man. I mean, you just like blow by Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, his favorite friend. Uh, Then I think all of a sudden you think, if I may say this, you know, your shit doesn't stink. And you actually begin to think that you're uh, much more important than everybody else. And your hubris level rises. And er you think that everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And that's very typical. I mean, it ha- it's happened over and over again. But when he, this, the way he communicates, he, he's a troll. He's now sort of become a troll in a lot of ways. But is it effective how he communicates on Twitter, Bill, to Wall Street? Or do they just think it's just antics? Uh, you know, I think uh, you have to sort of uh, parse out a lot of the stuff that isn't related to Wall Street stuff for Wall Street to, to begin to care. Like when he says uh, things like... Uh, well, when he says 420 funding secured, as he did, uh, you know that was quickly perceived correctly as a joke, despite his subsequent uh, protests that it was legit and real. Uh, when he started tweeting about, you know, maybe perhaps changing the purchase price uh, for his 5420 deal with Twitter, I think you know Wall Street has to take that kind of stuff seriously. And I think if you look at how quiet he has been with regard to the deal for the last two weeks. That, to me, says that he's been negotiating to cut the price and that he's actually listening to his lawyers who told him to, you know, shut up on Twitter. And if you really want to make this change in this deal, just keep quiet and go the route that every other deal guy goes, which is be quiet, do it in private and see if you can cut a new deal. Does his being loudmouth, Kevin, matter at all, do you think? I mean, he obviously commands an audience. They do what he says. He can attack them. People have written about that quite a bit. Um, he has his own fans attacking people. Is that helpful or not or, or, or just ridiculous? I think it's helpful for him. I mean, he is uh, extremely skilled at using Twitter to draw attention to himself and his projects and his pet causes. You know, he's, He reminds me of, of Trump in that respect. I mean, he just knows how to push the buttons. And he knows that if he does some boring tweet about, you know, some rocket, he'll get X amount of engagement. But if he shares a meme from Reddit attacking the left, he will get 2X, 3X, 4X that engagement. So he's a skilled user of Twitter. There's just no way around that. Like he's but very to what good end? At, at, because he obviously can't run for president. He's from, he was born in South Africa. <laughs> but what, to what end it, does it give him any advantage except po- personal popularity? I think it's purely cathartic for him. I think it's purely sort of psychological. I mean, he does, it's not like he needs the money. If what he were trying to do were to maximize his own wealth, he would delete his Twitter account because <laughs> he clearly is addicted, spends way too much time on it. Um, And this is the other thing like I don't get about Elon Musk, like the guy a couple years ago, 
The whole thing was like he sleeps on the floor of the factory. He works 100 hours a week. He, you know, he doesn't go out. Now he's like, he posted the other day his build on Elden Ring, which is this video game that like I tried to play and like spent like five hours trying to play and gave up. And I was like, <laughs> I'm too busy for this. Yeah. And I don't run three companies. Right, right. Yeah, no. And he's in the south of France at Ari Emanuel's wedding. He's He has a new actress, girlfriend, lots of Santro paying and stuff totally. like that. And, and so I think my reaction to his like his sort of recently revealed Twitter addiction is like, what is he like? What is his calendar? Is it just like, you know, wake up, tweet for three hours, go to the rocket factory, uh, you know, tweak a couple things on the design and then go back to playing Elden Ring? <laughs> like, I just want to know what kind of time management he's doing. I, you know, maybe he doesn't sleep at all. But so, Bill, let's talk about the serious thing, though. How is he going to finance this? How it has changed, correct? Yeah, yeah Explain so. how it's changed to people. I think it's a it's it's an important change, and, and it's hard to know whether he did it voluntarily or he felt that the market was forcing him to do it. But, I mean, it, it's the opposite of a leveraged buyout now. I mean, this is like... Uh, a deal that's got $30 billion of equity on a $44 billion deal. Uh, that's not a leverage buyout. So he's got, uh, he still has the uh, $13 billion of secured senior debt underwritten by a bunch of banks led by Morgan Stanley. That's still in place. This will be secured by Twitter assets. And again, that loan, I mean, none of this exists, right? Mm-hmm. So right. Yeah, we have to make that point because, uh, you know, that loan doesn't exist because he can't lever up assets he doesn't own. He won't own the Twitter assets until the deal closes. And then, the deal, you know, it all happens simultaneously. He, he, the banks will take that security and make that loan. Uh, he eliminated the margin loan, which was originally like, what, $12.5 billion. Yeah. And then he cut it in half or thereabouts to about 6 and a half. You know, again, I think people perceived that that loan somehow already existed and it was already tied to the Tesla stock, which was dropping like a stone. But of course, it didn't exist. So I think maybe to eliminate that confusion, he just eliminated that loan and put it all down in the equity. So, so he's got to come up with that money, as you noted. And he gave some a weird potpourri of friends, <laughs> right. including some uh, foreign investors. It means the U.S. will investigate it even more. Um, by the way, several people in Washington have said now that Qatar is in there, time to look. At what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's the eclectic 18 that I call it. Um, I mean, with, you know, Larry Ellison, of course, giving a billion dollars. Uh, he's the biggest. Uh, and some, you know, A16Z, you know, some of our old friends are, are in there. Again, I don't know why. Uh, it's not a traditional leveraged buyout in terms of structure. So none of the big private equity guys are in there. Yeah. And I don't Is that expect a red they flag? would be. Um, just no way we're doing this. Well, they could do it if they, you know, I suggested the other day that maybe... They create some sort of preferred uh, that for, for like the Apollos or the Blackstones of the world, and they might be doing just that. So he's got seven point one from the eclectic eighteen. He's got another two billion from Prince Al Walid, who agreed to roll over. He's got another four billion, at least at fifty four twenty of his own stock. So he needs another twenty, Kara. That's now, a lot of money, even if you're for the most people that'd be a non-starter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But for Elon, you know, between maybe. I mean, he could definitely craft a security that would appeal very definitely to the private equity guys who have, you know, trillions of dollars to put to work. So he could find it. Definitely he, he could find it. He just has it. to give up what? What does he have to give up to get it? Uh, he has to 
to get the private equity guys, I think he would need to give them a guaranteed annual preferred return of seven or eight percent plus some convert into the equity if this deal actually works. So just for renting their money, they would get seven or eight percent. I think Apollo, Blackstone, KKR, you know, if they want to be associated with the guy, I mean, that's a big question. And of course, the the business plan that he's proposing, you know, the PowerPoint that's sort of out there circulating that has his projections is fantasy land. So, I mean, maybe they just don't buy into that. But it, but if you give them this seven or eight percent guaranteed preferred return, you know, they're going to say, okay, I'll put a billion dollars to work for that and get that. Right. That's not and, bad. And they expect to get it back from him, given how he sort of changes. <laughs> expect. Yeah. <laughs> they will get it back. Okay. All right. Okay. So, Kevin, talk about the struggling thing, because I agree with Bill on this. This The projections are crazy, given Twitter's history. It's struggled for years with revenue issues. Um, you know, the new CEO, Parag Agrawal, uh, has fired two top leaders, had a product and revenue product lead. Um, how do you think about the actual math of this deal? Because it doesn't look like Twitter's ever made this much money, nor does he have a plan to do so very quickly, given the current environment. Yeah, I mean, I don't have as much insight into the balance sheet of Twitter as, as Bill probably does, but I feel like my my impression is that this is a company that has long sort of struggled to make its financial impact, you know, sort of commensurate with its cultural and social impact. I mean, this is a company that, you know, has basically transformed the way media and politics and culture in this country and and many other countries. And yet it has the market cap of like a middling industrials company. And so I think Elon, you know, I I wouldn't put it past him to find some way to to squeeze a little more, um, you know, uh, water out of out of the out of the sponge here. But I don't think his plan to sort of revolutionize Twitter and, and, you know, grow the user base, uh, you know, tremendously in a very quick period of time and get people to pay for using it. By the way, all while sort of uh, removing a lot of the content moderation that makes brands comfortable advertising on Twitter. Right, which he doesn't want to do. What do you think of his idea of subscriptions or people who have big followings, you know, paying him? Look, it's it's plausible that he could find a way to run a marginally better business than the people who have been in charge of Twitter. But I think that the the obstacles are likely to be much more severe than he expects. Um, I don't think this is a moneymaker for him. I think this is a passion project. Um, and so he may not care about, you know, getting a, a huge return on it. He may consider this part of his sort of political mission. But I think he's going to run into a lot of obstacles. I mean, just to name one, like if this deal closes and he becomes the interim CEO of Twitter, there is going to be a staff revolt. Um, Twitter is not sort of full of Elon Musk uh, fanboys. It is a big, uh, you know, sort of diverse, like kind of famously socially conscious, uh, or at least, you know, says it's socially conscious tech company. A lot of the people who left Facebook, the integrity division, because they felt like that company was capitulating too much to the right, now work at Twitter. These people are, uh, you know, they're not trivial to replace. They're very skilled. um, And Elon's going to come in and I expect that something like 30 to 40% of the workforce will just leave, either because he fires them or because they quit. And that's going to be a tremendous source of distress and distraction for him as the new Twitter CEO. I mean, it's hard to ship new products and new features when your staff, uh, you know, 
hates your guts. And and when you're in Santo Pay so much. So, uh, Bill, what do, is there a money thing here? You have talked about this a lot. Is there any kind of way? I mean, some people think it could be a payments thing. Another person posited to me, a pretty high-level person, was like, look, when he goes into other countries as the head of Twitter, he can get good deals on his other, his rocket stuff, his Tesla stuff, this and that. So it helps him in that. It's like a, like Jeff Bezos gets slightly detarnished by being the owner of the Washington Post. Is there any, it's a little more expensive hmm. here. Jeff Bezos paid hardly anything for that. Um, is there any upside do you see for him from a financial point of view? In owning Twitter yeah. at $44 billion? No, I don't, I don't see it. I think as Kevin was alluding to, and this is before any kind of staff revolt, I mean, to be generous, it makes a billion dollars of EBITDA a year. And that's to be generous. I know they've projected... 1.2, 1.3. It's still, you know, 44 times EBITDA. That is no no wonder Goldman and J.P. Morgan took about two seconds to say the deal was fair because it was, you know, uh, and a huge price that he's offered. Which of course is why so many people think he's, you know, negotiating to cut the price, which would still be a big price. I, I don't see. I've never understood Kara why he needs to quote unquote own this whole thing. I mean, he could have been very happy at 9.1%. He could could have then, you know, had a nice return because the stock, you know, jumped up. He could have made money on that and, you know, could have had huge influence owning 9.1%. Uh, he could have gone on the board or not. I could see maybe why he didn't want to do that. But this folly of owning the whole thing and then, as Kevin was saying, you know, buyer's remorse and how do I get the hell out of this thing and whether I want to and... I, I don't, you know, but I guess if you're worth 230 billion, what's, you know, 10% or, you know, 15% of my net worth throwing right. into owning Twitter? Right. Yeah, right. I was hell? thinking if I was, someone asked me what I would do if I had, I said, I might buy Twitter I, just for fun. I, I don't <laughs> you know. Would definitely buy I would Twitter, definitely Kara. buy Twitter and I wouldn't think, <laughs> but I would actually buy the New York Times actually, but, um, but which would be much cheaper. Yeah. It's much cheaper. Um, it, it, you know, I would definitely do something like buy all, I was thinking of a local, someone asked me what I'd do and I'd be like, I'd buy all the local things and control the world from local. Kara, you were a clue in the New York Times crossword. I know, I am now, I'm, that is the end of my so career. So maybe they're now. buttering you up for the, for the takeover. <laughs> for the big purchase. For the takeover, yeah. right. Um, so you don't think there's any, neither of you, is there any upside for him, Kevin? I don't, I, I guess owning it is kind of cool. Like if he goes to like some, potentate in the Philippines, like I'm the head of Twitter, like it gives him power, political power. Yeah, I mean, he already has power. He's the richest man in the world. So I, I don't think this would change. It, it would give him a lot of control over right. uh, particularly the, the way media is disseminated. I mean, he would get to let Trump back on. He would get to unban all the, the folks who have been banned. Um, Which was going to so happen would, anyway. It would give him a lot of power. But I also think like he doesn't like he thinks he wants that power. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, have you ever looked at the comments under a Mark Zuckerberg Facebook post? Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the number of people who are going to talk to Elon because their account got hacked yeah. or they want to yeah. get verified or someone scammed them. Like he is going to become the customer service, service. department of Twitter <laughs> and it is going to ruin his life. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with former Twitter CEO Dick Costolo, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. 
More with Kevin Roos and William Cohen after the break. This podcast is supported by Comcast Business. You're in tech in 2024. Of course you're busy. Whether it's staying on top of potential cyber threats or keeping up with what's trending in tech, you need to know your network is covered. You need a partner you can rely on. You need one provider with fully integrated network and security solutions. You need Comcast Business for managed services and tailored solutions that are built to keep your business going. Powering the CIOs that make it happen. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. So when you think about this, there's things that are in the way. The SEC, Bill. So the SEC announcer investigating whether he discloses financial stake in Twitter in a timely manner. You know, at the beginning, I think it's a parking ticket. Totally. Does that mean anything for the deal or is there any no, other investigations? No. Nothing. No, that is a parking ticket for the deal. That That's just sort of foolishness and wrong form. Um, no, I don't really see any real impediments. The current impediment is whether he wants to recut the deal and then he's going to have to negotiate with the board and get fairness opinions and rewrite the proxy agreement and stretch out the time uh, for the deal. So, I mean, again, care if, if he if he really wants this. And again, I don't understand why. I mean, I guess maybe because I'm not the world's richest guy, so I don't think like that. But uh, why he would want this, I don't understand. I don't even understand the power thing. You know, so the sultan of whatever, you know, thinks he's great because he owns Twitter. I, I think Elon's great because he, you know, has SpaceX and he's created these rockets that can land on a platform in the middle of the ocean. So is there any chance of SEC doing anything here? Is there any government regulatory body? No, I I, I don't see it. The failure to uh, file the right form is just a technicality. You know, he doesn't really respond to technicalities. As we know from the SEC, they don't obviously get along. There's no reason he can't uh, own it. Uh, the only thing that would uh, delay things here is if he recuts the deal, then uh, he has to negotiate uh, again with the board. He has to get new fairness opinions, uh, which will be tougher to give because at 50, 50 you know, 420, easy to give. At 4420, just picking a number because it's got yeah. 420 in it, uh, <laughs> going to be harder to give, but they'll give it. And then the whole proxy has to be refiled and rewritten, and they'll do that, and that'll delay things. Two other things, lawsuits, and then secondly, if there's foreign ownership like Qatar or anybody else in here, will it take longer? I mean, lawsuits will be 
a nuisance. Uh, there are always lawsuits and M&A deals, uh, especially when you cut the price. I mean, the ARBs are going to get killed here if he cuts the price. Uh, they're already kind of scratching their heads like, what the hell's going on? Foreign investors... Look, uh, Prince Al-Walid has been a, an investor in Twitter. I, I think, but I don't really see any of these foreign investors as an issue. Yeah, uh, interesting. All right, Kevin, do you see anything in the way at all? Who who has more power in this deal, Elon or Twitter? I'd love you both to answer. I think right now Elon certainly has the upper hand. I mean, Twitter's basically begging him to stay. And they're saying, you know, we're, we're not going to let you out of this. He clearly, you know, wants out or wants a lower price. Um, and they and the Twitter board has revealed itself to be totally capitulatory. They they've just been kind of rolling over. They fought him, and then they decided they weren't going to fight him and let him onto the board. And then actually, you can buy the company. And then, you know, I just don't see any evidence from them that they. Um, I think they want to get this thing off their plate um, and onto Elon's as quickly as possible. So, no, I don't see a lot of resistance there. I don't think the SEC is going to do anything if history is any guide here. Um, so I think this, I, I would put it at 85% that the deal closes um, and and maybe a, you know, a, a sort of 10 to 15% chance that it that he finds a way out. What about you, Bill? I, I would, um, you know, I love me some Kevin Roos and have for a long time. I, I <laughs> have to say that I respectfully dis- disagree. I think um, f- until April 25th, uh, Elon had the power. On April 25th, the power switched to the Twitter board and to that merger agreement, that binding merger agreement. Since then, Elon has fumbled. He's had his passes intercepted. He's played this terribly. He's obviously stopped listening to his advisors, in my opinion, who gave him good advice until April 25th. Now the power to me is uh, rests with a, yes, ineffectual Twitter board, but who is well advised and is taking advice and is basically just saying specific performance, specific performance, specific performance. You've signed a merger agreement. You have to close at 5420 unless we, in our infinite wisdom, allow you to recut the deal. Or you can walk away, pay your billion dollars, find a reason, and then there's going to be lawsuits up the wazoo. Uh, against you. And even though you're the world's richest guy, you're going to have to deal with it. So I think uh, the board uh, has suddenly become uh, much more powerful in this dynamic. It'll be the board that will let him uh, recut this deal or not, or and it'll be the board that has the power to make sure that this merger agreement gets executed, uh, that not only gets executed, gets performed. So let me ask, what is its power? What is its lawsuits, right? Correct. A lawsuit. And they can just make it? A lot of lawsuits. And and lawsuits that are in its favor. Okay, I'm not a lawyer, but I mean, you have a signed merger agreement. Nobody put a gun to his head and made him sign that merger agreement at 5420. So, and the outs are very few. I think we started this conversation saying that he, you know, uh, uh, agreed to buy this company without doing any due diligence on it. Now he's like doing some due diligence, but, you know, hey. Too bad. Elon. The fairness, the furnace doesn't work. You, you said you're going to buy it, buy it. The yeah. basement is flooded. There's mold. Oh, good <laughs> right. God. Exactly. Remediation. What is Parag Agarwal doing right now, Kevin? Meeting with the board? What should he be doing? I think he's a lot feistier than people think. I happen to know yeah, he's a lot feistier than I have no idea. Think. I'd love to, to ask him myself. Um, so would I. Parag, if you're out there, uh, you know, give a guy a call. 
Uh, I, I think Parag is is basically just the sort of interim uh, person until whatever happens with this Elon deal happens. But I, th- I think, you know, he basically has the task of sort of just keeping things afloat until this deal is is done or not. You know, he's a new CEO. He's well-liked at the company, but I think people have a lot of questions there about how he's um, you know, what role he's been playing through this entire process. He's basically been silent, except he's done a few Twitter threads um, about, you know, things like bots and spam. Um, but he's just, you know, my sense is he's just trying to hold this thing together long enough uh, for to, for there to be a resolution. So, in other words, a trivial pursuit question at some day. <laughs> Tech edition. I I do think yeah it'll it'll be like uh yeah it'll 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 be a good trivia question but I think I think it's also just I mean it's it's disappointing because you know he came in he yep. had a lot of ideas he about does. what he wanted to do he still does uh, he still, still does. does he talked a big talk about you know decentralization and blue sky and you know he had a lot of um, buy in at the company and now you know my sense from from talking to folks there is that they just. They just think he's trying to to sort of you know uh, pass the hot potato, get his payout, um, and and step down um, to someone you know appointed by Elon or whoever ends up owning Twitter after this. All right, last question prediction: One month from now, where will we be, Bill? Uh, I think there'll be a, a new merger agreement at a lower price. Okay, and what will what will even what will he have to give up to get that? Well, I think he, you know, whatever, it'll probably be that uh, the next round of trying to get out of the deal, if he were to do that, which would be really, really, really poor form, but of course we know that he's capable of any kind of poor form, is that the breakup fee would be much higher uh, and the outs would be even fewer than there are now. Kevin, last word, prediction. One month from now, um, I think yeah, we'll we'll be either at a at a lower price uh, to consummate this deal, or Elon will have abandoned it and will be instead spending all his time uh, playing Elden Ring and uh, you know yelling about um, woke liberals. All right, my prediction. I'm going to make it a very quick one. Jeff Bezos is coming in. I'm just making that up off the top of my head. Oh, He's that would buy be fun. everything. <laughs> it would be so good. It'd be so good. It would be so good. Anyway, thanks, guys. Thank you, Kara. Always a pleasure. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Caitlin O'Keefe, Wyatt Orm, and Kristen Lynn. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Christina Samuluski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza, and the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, like an Elon Musk Twitter clapback, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening.